See, my dad taught me tonight is about respecting the dead. Because this is the one night that the dead and all sorts of other things roam free. <laughs> pay us a visit. Sorry. All these traditions, jack-o'-lanterns, putting on costumes, handing out treats, they were started to protect us, but nowadays, no one really cares. <coughs> oh, I didn't do such a good job, did I? What do you think? There's another tradition. <coughs> Very important. <coughs> Always check your candy. <coughs> Trick or... podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome back to The Fear of God podcast, your favorite podcast, our favorite podcast. We're so glad you're here for this episode and this penultimate installment of phase one of 2020-2020. We hope you all have been enjoying the series because we sure have. To know exactly what 2020-2020 is all about, go listen to our precap episode from January for deeper insight. But basically, you guys and gals are voting on your favorite horror films from the last 20 years, and we are covering one from each year. This phase has included Shadow of the Vampire, Donnie Darko, 28 Days Later, House of a Thousand Corpses, Saw, Hard Candy, and last week we were joined by guest Paula Deming of the Death by Monsters podcast to talk about Bong Joon-ho's The Host. And today we are talking about a wild little film starring Rogue and William Stryker. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me uh, is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And y'all, we usually record in the evenings, uh, so that's not that weird, but Reed came on a minute ago, he was rather harried, and he said he'd slept till noon and then played video games until about four, which is not normal kind of behavior for Reed, but he's just running behind. But um, but he'll be back, at, you know, hopefully a little more, a little fresher, a little, little ready to go. Uh, but in the meantime, we want you to know that at the fear of God, we explore the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. If that sounds like something you'd enjoy, find us on Twitter, Instagram, or join us in the Facebook group for lively discussions. Because here at The Fear of God, we explore 
We don't explain, except for right now. When I'm going to explain, you can listen to Fear of God on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, anywhere podcasts are found. If we're not there, let us know, and we'll try to be found on it. While you're at it, wash those hands. Then go subscribe to us on your favorite platform, and if said platform is iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and or a glowing review. You can also find us on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com where you'll find an episode archive and be able to purchase merchandise from the show. See fellow foggers and their fog swag like t-shirts, mugs, cell phone cases, pillows. Reed! Hey, buddy! You you, you feeling okay? You look, feeling a little fresher? Trick or treat, y'all. I got, I got <laughs> nothing other than just like... Oh, okay! I want some, yeah. I want some candy. That's, I want to go... Gave- I want to go to a store. I gave you like five minutes there, and that's what you came up with. I want to go to a store, Um, and I want to to buy candy. Oh, yeah. That would be nice. Just go and... Yeah. uh, Remember the good old days when you could just go to the store? (laughs) Just leave the house? (laughs) You could just go to the store and buy... When when the Three Musketeers was not like... A A novelty? Yes. And and when it was not a life or death decision. I mean, like, oh my gosh. Goodness gracious. Uh, It's... uh, Yeah. Uh, Let's not get too depressed. On that, <laughs> on that spirit, I was going to say, on that note, hey, buddy, hey. let's not forget, you're my running mate this election oh. year. I, I got to be honest, I hope it's still an election year, but oh, it's, it's yeah. topsy-turvy right now. A lot can happen. That's true. And, um, you know, primary season is basically kind of over, like mm. so many things mm. in life right now. Yeah, true. Um, true. But, but, hey, buddy, for the sake of argument, Let's suppose another primary happened. Oh, okay. And we won. We won. Let's just do it. Hey, is Go it too it. early to call it at this point? Like, do you think it's? Do you think it's too close to call? No, at no, this no, point? no. Please, no. I don't know. Like, okay, all right. So just, I, I, I don't know. Let's... The the bit only has so much life in it, <laughs> and at a certain point, I I don't want it to end because I'm scared of what that end might be. You know? Sure, no, that, that that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Would you, you see this white that's developing in my beard? Oh, I that's see. Just yes. gonna keep populating, festering. Yeah. Yes, no, of, understood. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I understand. It's like the longer I'm in the house, the more the hair grows. You see these the little the bald spots on my scalp? Yeah, that's <laughs> same, same thing, same thing. But that was it's mildly. Pur- purposeful right that was it's, uh, yeah there was some intentionality there was a little that. bit of intentionality indeed indeed hey buddy um Re- hey how, how you doing <laughs> <laughs> i'm okay we've had this parade of guests we're not used to being just us I know. anymore i don't know what we like, do uh, i don't know how so we do this anymore you know. with just us <laughs> do you- <laughs> are you the big spoon or am i the big spoon i don't know i don't know <laughs> it turns it turns into 30, 30 minutes of just, how are you doing? I don't know. How are you doing? I don't know. What's, what are you scared? What are you <laughs> No, I'm not. We're not even going to do it. Oh uh, what show is this? I know. Mm. I know. Well, So, Riri, yeah. you, are, you, you have been playing the role of Lackey the Listicle, but he's, uh, indeed. he's in retirement for a little while because yeah. there's no listicles left to... You know, yeah, just a, we lo- we we lament we lament the lack indeed, indeed. of listicles. That is true. That is true. Because <laughs> he will only make two more appearances for the time being. He is only going to show up. Well, hey, everybody! He'll he'll show up like now and then next week, and then we're drawing to an end of this little phase of little you know. But is he even showing up right now? Because there's no list to call for. Yeah, there is. 
There's no voting left to be done. But there's, oh yeah, I mean, the voting is done, but the lists exist. Like, you know, there the, we. That's true. So, so well, we just take it away, little guy. <laughs> say whatever you're gonna say. <laughs> okay, Reed. Like, I don't care anymore. In this weird, in this weird world ahead of us, I don't know what's happening. It's anarchy. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what's... Hey, speaking of anarchy, did you see? I just... This is like right in our wheelhouse. Oh. In Louisiana, they've issued a curfew, okay? Like a lot of the oh, country... Oh, I did hear about this. Oh. Did you see this? Oh, my they God, They issued some curfew and the like sheriff's office or whatever that did the alarm system to oh, signal the curfew, God. they somehow inadvertently used... The sound cue from the Purge films, yes, as they their did. signal, yes, they did to to bring the curfew into place, and it was only like some other person noticed it and was like, "Uh, that's we, probably not. We should what not. You want. We should not be doing this." <laughs> <laughs> Who for like five minutes, the murder rate just shot through the roof. <laughs> it's like everybody's like, "I knew it was gonna happen. I knew it. I was waiting for this." In every, in so many homes across the country, somebody was just like, "Ha ha ha!" And it's like, "Oh wait, I mean, my bad." My bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and they later they later apologized for it, but I'm like, nobody well, sure. nobody vetted that. Like nobody, you didn't play it for anybody else. Like who was in charge? I went, let's let's play this out for just a second. Like who was in charge of saying like, hey, you know what we really need? We need a sound cue to let everybody yeah. know that yeah. the curfew is underway. So, uh, Bob, can you uh, can you go find us one of those? And Bob's like, uh, j- sure, okay, I'll do that. Sure. And then goes. I and- seen this movie the other night. <laughs> he bring that. That looked pretty effective on the movie. Let me use that. <laughs> I didn't finish it. How does it end? Does it end good? Uh, so, Is it March 21st? Oh, my gosh. So, uh, yeah, but I did see that story, and that's ridiculous. Uh, in our crazy news, uh, a man was arrested. You can't make this stuff up. A man was arrested because he got into a fight over toilet paper in a store, and the person that he punched, which earned him the arrest, was his own mother. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Like, in our little town. I am not making it up. You can't make it up. In our little town. (laughs) You could, but you don't have to. (laughs) Why would you? Just read the news. I mean, like, if there's any sort of evidence of how, like, What a wild world when the content we cover is comfort food. (laughs) Right? Like, please, can we get into these vampires, werewolves, and demons as quickly as possible? Please, because I need... I need some peace of mind. Okay, I need I need to come out from the, I need to escape into the world of violent like vicious brutal deaths for just a few right, minutes, right. please. Because yeah. um, no it's going to end. The credits will roll on that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um but no, in all seriousness, we've been, you know, kind of uh, kind of dancing around it, uh but <laughs> clearly a little punchy tonight. But um we are nearing the end of phase 1 of 2020. 2020. So normally this is the moment when I would call upon you to visit the fear of God podcast.com and and go vote. But as of this recording, the voting has ended. You, uh, your opportunity to influence these particular lists has concluded. So hopefully you were able to go in and cast your votes next week. We are going to be covering your favorite horror films of 2008 counting down that list and covering another entry. We'll announce that at the at the end of the episode. Um, and this week we are covering 2007. Uh, but as I mentioned, the voting themselves is done. So without further ado, uh, let us get into the list of your favorite horror films of 2007. Nathan, uh, would you prefer to do 
evens or odds on this one? I'll go odds. Okay, so uh, I will kick the list off. Um, if you will permit me a brief moment before we dive into uh, the list, I wanted to mention, I rarely do this, but I feel like when there's a number 11 that is sort of worth mentioning, uh, I'd like to just sort of throw that in there. So not making your top 10, but kind of as an honorable mention, what would have been your number 11 is uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween remake. So uh, I figured since we covered House of a Thousand Corpses, I would take note of the fact that uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween just barely missed the top 10 favorite horror films of 2007. So number 10 is probably the biggest surprise to me of any of these lists. Number 10 shocked me to pieces. It is Paranormal Activity, directed by Oren Pelley. It shocks you that it's not higher? It shocks me that it's not higher. I mean, Paranormal Activity is one well, of our most listened to episodes. I was going to mention, so that is Fog Cannon episode 91, and not just that. I, I saw When I saw this list, I was like, come on, what is going on here? Right, so, right. Lis- listeners, you don't get this behind-the-scene data metrics that we get to <laughs> see. Paranormal Activity, our episode on Paranormal, paranormal Activity, We this recording right now is for episode... Uh, 175, not including bonuses. So we're yeah, probably, right. what, 180-something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere. Of 180-plus recorded conversations, at number three in downloads is Paranormal Activity. That's number which three. is crazy to me. And it is behind the first conversation, The Quarterly King, on the first It film, which was a massive box office success yeah, yeah, absolutely. and had yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of people in that conversation. And so it kind of makes sense, even though that feels impressively high. And so it's behind that and it's behind the very first Fear of God episode, which people naturally are just going to listen to, to know. Right. <laughs> just to, if they want to know what this show no longer is whatsoever, <laughs> like that's what they go to. Um, Can you really visualize a tree by looking at the seed? Like, that's really what (laughs) what we're doing. That's like the most beautiful metaphor I think I've ever heard you use. I loved it. Um, Can you say to a rainbow, hey, rainbow, stop being a rainbow. No, you cannot. Um, (laughs) um, So I am genuinely curious. For the foggers out there, I want to just hear the wild speculation over why paranormal activity is so high and continues to rise. Like we've had yeah. episodes, it's like gonna, surge. it's going to topple the first one. <laughs> I know, like people continue to keep going and checking out that episode. And it's listen, don't get me wrong, it's fun. I mean, we have one of my oh, still it's a hell of a lot of fun. Yes, it's one of my. It contains one of my favorite spontaneous bits that we've ever done on this show. That of recontextualizing the entire uh, concept as actually like a a uh, unrequited normal love activity. story. Yeah, yeah, normal activity where the ghost just wants friends. Um, but uh, yeah. but no, like it's can't yeah. sleep. Oh, it's uh anyway. So, yes. So yes, 10. I'm with you on yeah. that one. Yeah. Uh, number nine. Uh, Johnny Depp came out last week. Johnny Depp. Here we are again. Is Sweeney mm-hmm. Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, directed by Tim Burton, and starring Johnny Depp, and I presume Helena Bonham Carter, though I can't recall specifically. She's in it, and Alan that Rickman. Seems like a natural. Really. Yeah, he's in it. Um in a in a prominently antagonistic role. Or should I say Red. 
You need two <laughs> words to get really the effect. I know, I know. You need. Yeah. You know, no, here's here's how he says it is. Okay. Oh. Really. <laughs> that is. That is a pause. I am not shortening in this. Chew that. Chew that scenery, Snape. Oh man. Um. So yeah, I, you've seen this one, right? Have you seen this? I saw it in the theaters. That was the last time yeah. I saw it. But yes, gotcha. Uh, that was the last time I saw it as well. I. I mean, I remember liking it, but I don't. I don't remember responding. Too like, much music. Too much. <laughs> it's a musical. <laughs> there was too much music in that one. Uh, uh, Why is okay. everybody singing while they're getting a haircut? <laughs> Meat pies. So, um, no, <laughs> number. I've seen that Midsommar. Number eight is a film that I love so so much. Uh, I would love for us to eventually cover this one. This is this is a really great film. It's called Time Crimes, uh, directed by I'm going to butcher this name, but directed by Nacho Vigalando, and it it is a film that hit my radar as one of those just somewhat spontaneous little oh this this looks interesting it has a really intriguing cover image the cover image is of a figure in this particular costume and and looked really arresting at the time and um it it is justifiably a horror film i think it is more so a speculative science fiction film but it is i, I literally don't want to say too much about it because it is a film you need to just sort of go into blind and experience to the best of your ability. But it is it is a remarkable film. It's a film I love. So if you have the opportunity to see Time when, Crimes, do so. When we finally get around to it, I'll just know. Because you'll text me and I'll just be like, it's Time Crime time. <laughs> and I'll be like, okay, it's it's Time Crimes time. <laughs> I just, it's it's really my hope that there's a mime in this movie. <laughs> it's too- <laughs> it's time. You know what time it is? It's time crimes. Time. time crimes time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that mime. Oh All right. So number seven on this list is the film Grindhouse, which is an anthology film uh featuring the pair of not quite feature length films, Planet Terror and Death Proof. I can't even talk. <laughs> um, by Robert Rodriguez, Tarantino, Edgar Wright's involved, Rob Zombie's involved, Eli Ross. Involved. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of cooks in this. So, so actually, okay. So, have you ever have you ever seen either of these films? Clearly, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> the way I just described it. Uh, <laughs> Tom Crimes Time. <laughs> Tom Crimes Time. So, um, gr- somebody please. So, Grindhouse was an experimental theatrical experience because I know what it so, is. Yeah, so, so but like, seen it. but like, Planet Terror and Death Proof are absolutely feature length. Like they're they're ninety oh, okay. to okay. yeah they're they're like ninety five <laughs> minutes each. So, but um, like they were, if you saw them in the theater, it was intended to be like this double feature billing, and that there were these short pieces. What they really are, there's these three little like trailers. They're imaginary trailers for imaginary films, uh, directed by Edgar Wright, Rob Zombie, and Eli Roth. Um, I forget which one did this. I think it was Eli Roth. But one of the films uh, was starring Danny Trejo, or one of the little like short clips sure. starred, starred Danny Trejo, and it was for a, an imaginary film called Machete that they then yeah. later went and they turned into. They made it into, yeah. Of what? Machete. Say it again. 
Machete. Well, I just love. I just uh, the reason Time I started giggling it. there is how I totally yada yada this. This you really did. Cried <laughs> house with the the such and this. There's a lot of words on this list right now. <laughs> you were you were like hey. trying to fumble through it like this is felt not. I quite say a lot at the top of the show and my mouth gets worn out. <laughs> hey, because you know how I sometimes <laughs> sometimes start movies late. When it when the time comes, will you please alert me to the time crimes runtime? <laughs> So you know how much time you need to devote to the runtime of Time Crimes Time. <laughs> this is not the entire I've, I've list. You. <laughs> the entire list is going to be overshadowed by this nonsense right We've now. We've had the all, entire these, thing. all these people oh. up in our house. Oh my gosh. No, it's, just me and, it's just me and you. Move along. So, uh, yeah, my favorite part of your listing, that number seven, is just where you're like, it has some other material by like Edgar I. Robinson. There's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot a lot of, of names. It's <laughs> a lot of words. <laughs> so number seven was Grindhouse. Number six, uh, f- uh, featuring our uh, very uh, beloved director, Danny Boyle's film, Sunshine, uh, which is a film we've both seen, and that, if memory serves, you are incredibly fond of. Uh, as as am I. Is that Quite. accurate? Yeah, it's that, a it's a really great film. Um, you got you got any more to say about that? Or, or no, you just said is that accurate, and then you just didn't even let me talk. You didn't even let me answer. You just moved on. It was <laughs> like, oh. well, you know, I'm losing confidence no that you'll be able to put together a coherent <laughs> sentence. <laughs> like, let me just make sure I ask yes or no questions. <laughs> Anything else is, is like sketchy. It is at not this point. prime time over here, you know. <laughs> okay, number five on this list is not prime time for me. It is bedtime. Uh, is wreck. Uh, <laughs> wreck it. A wreck it Ralph joke tried to happen just then, but it didn't work. Uh, oh directed gosh. by <laughs> my, my text. My text isn't big enough on here. <laughs> Um, wreck directed by. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, why is paranormal activity so high on the list? Um, I'm literally crying. By oh my gosh, Yom Balaguero and Paco Plaza. Uh, we're gonna move along, please. <laughs> this quickly. is an anthology film, right? Like this, just some shorts. It's no? not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> the, re- <laughs> the reason I'm laughing so hard and having such a hard time speaking is because <laughs> listeners didn't get to see <laughs> the face you made <laughs> when you tried to. It's like I can see video this stuff. I could see it in your eyes. Like, and suddenly you're like, is Wreck <laughs> directed by? And then it's like this, tenu- this tenuous cliff you had to leap off of to try, <laughs> to try to get this name right. <laughs> and your eyes got so big. <laughs> and it just cracked me up so much. Ooh, oh. Here I go. <laughs> so, so, no, sincerely. Okay, I got to rein it in because this is a really good movie. Um, okay, so wreck, which is, uh, in case people don't know, it's not it's not like the word wreck as in wreck it, Ralph. It's wreck, uh, R-E-C, as in the record function on your camcorder. Um, I'm going to wreck it. And it's uh, directed by, I don't know if I'm going to do any better with the name, but directed don't, don't, by. Don't, don't, 
No, why are you going to try again? Just I don't know. So what and, I got. It's on the record. Just talk it's, about it's the movie. It's there. The it is there. So so um but this film is remarkable. It's it's like a, it, it's a bit of a chamber piece. Um it is a single the the premise is that there are these in you know this sort of infection running rampant in an apartment building and uh this reporter is um chronicling the activities of a fire station coincidentally on the same night that they are then eventually called to respond to this uh, infestation. And so uh, the the film, you know, quickly pivots into, you know, pretty harrowing stuff. It was coincidentally remade as the film Quarantine starring, um, gosh, what is her last name? The star of... Exorcism of Emily Rose, Jennifer Carpenter, I think is her name. Um, but uh, so the film, you know, Rec or REC was remade as Quarantine. Personally speaking, I didn't care very much for Quarantine, but I am very, I very either. fond. <laughs> oh, <laughs> none of us like it at this <laughs> at this point. Um, but I am very, very fond of the film Wreck. If you have the opportunity to see it, it is a really remarkable film, very affecting. Uh, and so, it, despite our you know, inability to was, giggle you know, through it, but. I, no, I, I don't have an inability to giggle. I'm very <laughs> able at that. Uh, I think I was thinking of VHS. That's an anthology film, right? You are correct about that. Yeah. So, VHS see, and see, its VHS, sequels. VHS, yeah. Wreck. You can sort of see. I can, actually. Ow. That's, that. Okay. That's yeah, that's that's pretty good. Um. But yes, VHS and its sequels are each anthology films. Wreck is uh, is not. Um, and it's your fifth favorite horror film of 2007. Trying to move on. Number four is our featured coverage for this week. It is Michael Daugherty's film, Trick or Treat. Um, we will share uh, so many of our thoughts about that film momentarily. Uh, Nathan, go ahead on number three. Uh, number three, coming in at... Fog Cannon episode number 130 as part of our 19 series? Maybe? Uh, I Maybe believe. Yeah, uh, it is The Mist, directed by Frank Darabont and starring Tad Jane. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, listeners who have not kept kept up. <laughs> don't that don't is know that. It's a serious fear of God deep cut right it, there. Oh, it really is. Oh, it absolutely. All you got to do is go listen to 1922 episode and then before I wake episode and you're going to get yeah. a hell of a good time. And that, that on both of those. Absolutely. It. Absolutely. Um <clears throat> number 2 in the list is also in man, the, these films just keep getting better and better. Uh mm-hmm, number mm-hmm. 2 uh on the list is The Orphanage directed by J.A. Bayona and Honestly, like it, it, Fear of God seventy eight. It true. Fear of God seventy eight. It is uh a a powerfully affecting film. Go back and check out our episode about it. We are very, very fond of that movie. Uh we, we love it tremendously. And honestly, uh there's a world in which I would fight for this to be number one, but I think number one is is kind of uh just unbeatable in terms of like it absolutely deserves to be number one. So what is Number one, uh, Mr. Nathan Rouse. Number one is the sequel uh, to number eight, and it is Time Crimes <laughs> 2. <laughs> yeah. No, this- I'm sorry. Uh, number one on this list is Zodiac, uh, <laughs> coming in on Fear of God, episode 44, directed by David Fincher, starring Mysterio, the Hulk, and Iron Man. 
<laughs> um, listeners, if for some reason you have made it this far into either our episodes or just life Your in general, life. <laughs> and you have not seen Zodiac, prioritize Zodiac. Zodiac is an incredible film. It's an amazing... You just, you just said that word like more rose. <laughs> prioritize. Prioritize. Sorry. Did I did I say it like Moira Rose? It just did I did I say that? Um, yes, Zodiac, directed by David Fincher, well deserving of the top spot of your favorite horror films of 2007. Uh, Nathan, while I make a couple of Great. observations about this list, if you would be so kind as to pull off Box Office Mojo's listing of the top five grocers of 2007. So what's interesting to the first thing that jumped out to me about this particular list is this is like the rise of Spanish speaking horror. Like Time Crimes is a Spanish film, a Spanish speaking film. Uh Wreck uh, is a Spanish language film. The Orphanage is a Spanish language film. And I don't think any other of the lists that we've counted down so far have quite so many foreign language films, particularly not of, like, from the same region, all in succession. So this was remarkable to me that this particular year, 2007, saw at least three that resonated pretty deeply with uh, at least some of our listeners. And I think uh, particularly in the case of Wreck and The Orphanage, I think Time Crimes is a little bit more of an obscure sort of uh, undiscovered gem. But I know Wreck gets talked about a lot. The Orphanage gets talked about a lot. Um, and, uh, and, and all from 2007, which I think is, uh, is, is really quite remarkable. Um, you got the, uh, box office mojo list up for us. Do I ever read? Hit us with number five. So 2007 worldwide box office one. That was a really good fear of God top 10 list. That was good. Yeah. Good stuff <laughs> a, on there. I, I don't even mean to start going through it. I mean, the, the no, there's some great films. Quality. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as opposed to, <laughs> Um, <laughs> last year, <laughs> as a, as opposed to the 2007 worldwide box office. Oh, this is so crazy. It's why, why do we do this to ourselves? Um, <laughs> started off so interesting. It is worth it is worth mentioning. So at number eleven on this list of worldwide box office is The Born Ultimatum, which is a fantastic film and is so much better mm, than mm. almost everything else above it. Uh, mm. At number eight on this list, I'm only bringing it up because you and I saw it together, is The Simpsons movie. Do you remember you and I seeing it I together? do I remember that. I standing in line with you. Yes. That, movie. that was so special. I loved it. Spider Pig. 2007. Spider Pig does whatever a Spider it, Pig does. But, oh, okay. But, but I was with you. So, um, That's all that Number matters. five. Number five is the first installment. Uh, having much more money at number five than subs than previous number fives here at 709 million is the first installment of the transformers franchise oh okay which yeah yeah which honestly that first one and the much later bumblebee are really the only two that i would uh, i would highly recommend bumblebee i would yes, good. softly recommend the original transformers after that they just go downhill very very quickly uh, number four on this list. I don't know that I ever saw it, but coming in with eight hundred and thirteen million dollars in worldwide box office is Shrek the Third. Okay, I mean I like all of the yeah. Shrek movies. They're fun. I like I like I enjoy them. Do you? I I do. That's a real soft recommendation. I mean I do. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's over. Uh, number three. <laughs> Moving on. Number three on this list, and what? Certifiably, 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 
sank this particular franchise, even though it made $894 million, almost $895 million, is Spider-Man 3 from Sam Raimi. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm not surprised you know, it's so high because Spider-Man 2 was such an outstanding film. Correct. But, yeah. Everybody had to see them dance moves, right? That is the weirdest Spider-Man moment in the history of Spider-Man cinema. It's so strange. So, I do love that they play with it in Spider-Verse. Yeah, yes. I went to go see Spider-Man 3. It is after we moved to Charlotte. And there's an IMAX theater here in Charlotte. And I was dumb enough to not know that there were distinctives between... IMAX theaters. I don't know if you know this. Oh, but this like giant screen versus true IMAX? Is that what you mean? Well, no, I don't even mean that. I mean, in true IMAX, there's planetarium-style IMAX, and then there's not planetarium-style IMAX. Oh. Well, gotcha. the IMAX that we have locally is planetarium-style. So, brother, I wa- you, you, Spider-Man 3 is not a good movie. No, no. I watched it like I was completely surrounded by it. Like That's so for, painful. For two character scenes when they're talking to each other, you're going to enjoy this, but listeners can't see it. Like if characters, you know, in a normal movie, you're watching the screen and people are talking yeah. ones yeah, on of course, the left course. side, ones on the right side. I had to go. <laughs> oh, no. I had to completely turn my head to the left to see who that character, what that character, to look at that character and then completely turn my head to the right. That That's... is how painful. So not only was it a, a subpar film it was actual yes. exercise it was work yes. it, was work it was work to try to see this work. movie oh that's disappointing uh number two on this list which is unfortunate considering the number what number one is number two is harry potter and the order of the phoenix at 941 million you know i wondered because harry potter didn't show up in last year's top box office and so i was like okay well clearly well, that's because it's, it's yeah it skipped a year because it wasn't yeah yeah so so it yeah. there was no harry potter film made in 2006 so i was like okay we got to be coming up on one soon i know there wasn't a huge distance in between the films so uh i was actually thinking it might be number one but that's too bad well what's interesting is order of the phoenix is the first film that woke me up to affection for the franchise really had you seen yeah. the others before you saw that or? you know i can't remember it's possible can't quite recall i don't remember I don't okay know. all right it's lost That's, to time like a time hey, crime y- you okay how you doing <laughs> no, just kidding um <laughs> oh, i'm fine i'm fine i really just can't remember um the number one on the list is oh boy. i'm ready at 960 almost 1 million is pirates of the caribbean at world's end i mean okay i mean no no that i can't uh... I remember being so mad at that second movie after I left it. I don't know if I watched this. Because I remember I watching the second one it. and thinking it's so dumb. And getting to the end and being like, I'm, I'm dumber now. <laughs> anyway. Oh which is um, saying yeah. a lot considering how the last 30 minutes have gone. Oh, man. Um, I uh, Yeah, I... <laughs> I don't care for the Pirates films past the first one. I just I just really don't. Uh, I've been wondering uh, for a while, actually, if maybe time would be kinder to it um, and if I could go back and rewatch it with like a fresh perspective, if I might appreciate certain elements more, but I just can't bring myself to do it. They're long movies. I don't have very fond memories of them. What I do remember about them, I remember not being very impressed and remember in at least enough detail to know I don't think I, I don't think I want to try that again because I just again I've seen the first the, one a handful of yeah. times and love it every time um, but yeah the rest are, are not 
not up to the same par. They're long. They're bloated. They're boring. Yeah. It's just silly. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, so that puts another installment of 2020, 2020, 2007 edition in the books. Um, and we are now going to be pivoting over to speak about one of the films from the list. It is actually, so we're talking about, we're spending the entire episode about the fourth favorite film in the list, but that is primarily because we have already covered the top three. We already covered The Mist, The Orphanage, and Zodiac. Um, so this one, uh, unlike Wreck, which understandably was confused for VHS, this one is an anthology film. Uh, had you <laughs> had you seen it before or knew anything about it uh, before you, we knew, you knew we were covering it for this? Um, I was totally unfamiliar. Uh, all I knew was the imagery of the little guy. Sam guy. Oh, Sam. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, I didn't know anything beyond that. Now, are yeah, there sequels? He, so, Trick or Treat Two has been announced, but oh. it was, but it was announced. Uh, kind of, I I forget exactly how its production schedule coincided with like the hit of of COVID nineteen and and the impact there. So, I don't know what is happening with it. Um, probably nothing at the moment, in, unless it was in just the development stages and. And perhaps development is still being discussed uh, by remote access or something. But, but yeah, Trick or Treat Two has been announced officially. But, um, but beyond that, there there wasn't ever anything beyond this. It was spawned originally from a short animated film uh, featuring the the Sam character, and uh, yeah, that was that was it. Otherwise, then it was uh, brought into feature length. Now, this is I, I actually. Didn't look at this, but Michael Daugherty did Krampus, right? And he did, yes. Yeah. So he directed, uh, wrote and directed Krampus. He also uh, wrote and directed Godzilla: King of the Monsters, which I know you've yeah, seen. That's what I thought. Um, yeah. And he, Bef- I don't know you, if, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, let's remind everybody <laughs> about that. So um, he also has at least, I, I know he's credited at least with the story for the eventual upcoming Godzilla versus Kong. Um, so I, you know, I don't know exactly his level of involvement, but, but something, something that I found interesting and that I did not remember until doing the research for the film, I didn't know until I saw Brian Singer's name on the like casting list, which yes, that's, that's awkward and a bit uncomfortable. I wasn't going to bring it up. Uh, but he was directly sort of associated with like, like he wrote the screenplay for X2, X-Men United, Michael Daugherty did. Um, really? And yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote the wow. screenplay for X two. He also wrote the screenplay for Superman Returns. And and so it's like he had he had kind of been in the ether as a writer. No primarily. wonder Brian Cox is in this. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I was yeah. being silly. Yeah. Brian Cox and Anna Paquin. Like, well, right. Yeah, I know, but yes, yes. Yeah. So so, but uh, yeah. The so what's interesting about the film? So the film is officially in your. It was it, I I included it as a nominee. In 2007, but there's a little bit of a storied history. So, like, if listeners looked up right now on IMDb, like, oh, what's this trick or treat? Wait a minute. This is the best films of 2007, and IMDb lists this as 2008. What's what's going on with this? So, <laughs> this has a crazy uh, a little bit of a, a labyrinthine history. The film was completed and originally set to release theatrically in October of 2007. But it was pulled from the release schedule 
The studios never gave a concrete reason for why they pulled it. So there's a couple speculations, but it it debuted like that year in December for like a um like at some small little festival and then it got pushed for release in October of 2008 but then ultimately ran like a couple of festivals and never got released to theaters in 2008 either um so then it got released eventually straight to DVD release in October of 2009 i cannot find wow. could, could not locate what the affirmed reason was for its continued delay, there's a lot of speculation. One speculation I saw was that in 2007, they did not want it to compete with Saw 4, which was, uh, you know, a film that they expected to have, you know, at least uh, pretty substantive box office success given the appeal of the franchise. Um, So they didn't, the, the speculation is they didn't want it to compete with Saw 4, so they pulled Trick or Treat from the release and, uh, you know, banked their money on the, the the franchise entry another speculation said that they were disappointed with the financial performance of superman returns which he had co-written and basically were kind of not really confident in uh, exactly how the film was going to perform so it's just it just boggles my mind made in 2007 uh listed on imdb as a 2008 film because that's when it sort of started to hit the festival circuit um and then finally released straight to dvd in october 2009 without a widespread theatrical run that is the storied release history on this film which i still find uh pretty remarkable but um before we get into too many more trivial bits did you so did you enjoy it general thoughts on on the film yeah i i i had no idea um other than just the what I think is a pretty effective creature design on Sam. I had no idea what on earth it was, you know, what was that? I, I didn't know it was about Halloween. Well, I guess that's stupid to say trick or treat is in the title, but as in, I didn't know mm-hmm. the anthology aspect, which is then rooted in Halloween style traditions and whatnot. Um, right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, I, I think it's, pretty wild i mean you know yes it's funny there there's this weird corollary happening for me although i don't think they're on the same level whatsoever of our conversation about the host last week and just the nature of an a a narrative that does not have a direct a straight line because Mm, mm. while anthology is not an incorrect word for this film it's also not traditionally structured as an anthology not at all no um and so there is a narrative here. Its anchor point is kind of Halloween as an idea. Uh, right. But it right. all takes place within the same universe, within the same night, effectively. Um, I was also, I thought you would divulge or, or um, reveal something to this effect, but but didn't mention anything about it. Even the kind of comic booky aesthetic of right. the right. credits and right. stuff are a little interesting i don't know i i I couldn't quite tell what if it was rooted in some previous existing material or what so i don't know well and i think it could could be wrong didn't find this specifically in my research but i would have equated that to a desire to pay homage to like the ec comics kind of thing like like a a bit cut from the the creep show cloth if you will that uh you know well i can see that because what research i did find or what research I did do did reveal just how much it's 
larded with sort of uh, horror ideas of of other sources, right? Right. You know, like yes. There's a, there's a yes. lot going on. Sorry, that was really hard to find what I was trying to say there. But there's a lot going on that's homage to other things. Oh, absolutely. So that would make yeah. that would make some sense. Uh, yeah. The EC Comics creep show thing. So it's interesting but, you you said in oh no you 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 go ahead no all I was gonna say was a summary statement of like I found it entertaining uh, sure and sure kind of enjoyable from that standpoint gotcha um, you mentioned earlier that like you felt uh, or at least expressed a bit of oh it should have been obvious this is about Halloween because of the title trick or treat ironically uh, the original title was supposed to be season's greetings which is what the short the animated short was called um but when they were in development for it and i think this was probably a good call they thought well we don't want people to think this is a christmas film <laughs> because if you you know do season's greetings and then people think it's a christmas film they come in you're 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 going to get people kind of uh upset that they <laughs> signed up for something that they were they weren't really ready for so they went through a number of different other titles finally landing on trick or treat the only reason that it's trick or treat and not trick or treat it's like like trick apostrophe apostrophe r like uh like toys r us or something the reason it's like that is because i think uh at at a comparable time to its development there was another film that was tentatively titled trick or treat and they just didn't want a lot of the associations um and so they they instead just sort of dropped the o uh substituting an apostrophe there um you mentioned just a second ago that the uh, there are lots of homage to different sort of other horror entries, most specifically the work of John Carpenter. Like Brian Cox's appearance. Uh, I did is, read that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, is directly mirrored after the general appearance of John Carpenter. Anna Paquin's character in the film is named Laurie. That is a direct call out to Laurie Strode from Halloween. Um, there is also, it can be seen uh, in the, in the, internal sequence with the kids and the bus and uh, the like I think like the dead bus kids there's a an old car that is the same car from Christine John Carpenter's mm. Christine based on Stephen King's uh, novel so there is there's a tremendous amount of uh, homage to not only horror films but you mentioned just Halloween lore Halloween traditions uh, the the sort of cloth the the uh fabric head uh character that we keep calling sam that's actually his name is short for uh Samhain, which is it, it's pronounced Samhain, and it's spelled samhain uh s-a-m-h-e-i-n which is the traditional celtic festival from which a lot of halloween lore extends um and his name that's that's kind of how he's been nicknamed uh sam which again i find interesting um I just have two more bits, brief bits of trivia. We've mentioned uh, both the presence of Anna Paquin and Brian Cox, who were both in X2, which we've already said was co-written by uh, Michael Doherty. <laughs> also, I found it was, I thought it was interesting. If you see a character in the film, a child who has a mask completely covering their face, that is probably played uh, by a little person as opposed to a child because so much of the filming had to take place at night and they were restricted a lot by child labor laws and filming and everything like that. So if ever you see a scene where a character is completely obscured by a mask, chances are that is not being played by a child, which I, I thought was uh, kind of interesting. But at the same time, did 
did I not read that the Sam, so the little boy yeah. in the costume shop uh, is also who plays, who is the kid in the Sam costume? I'm pretty uh, sure. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, what is his name? Quinn something. Quinn Lord, I think, is the is the little kid's actor, uh, the little kid actor who plays him. Um, but yes, he is. He actually is uh, also playing the Sam character. Yeah. So you mentioned that the film is kind of. We can head over into likes dislikes sure. unless you have some other uh, trivial nope. mentions. But um, you mentioned the unconventional nature of this anthology film. That is one of my very favorite things about it. Um, in what would be classified as like your traditional anthology film. The runtime of the film is broken up by these smaller segmented stories, and each story has a beginning, middle, and end, and then it cuts, and then it moves on into the next one. What's interesting about this one is that in many of the cases, the stories overlap and intersect with one another in some really interesting ways. Characters from other stories are frequently seen in the background or in passing during a different story so that everything kind of ties together as a singular cohesive piece. For instance, even like three and a half minutes into the film, and you wouldn't have known this like through a first viewing, but like three and a half minutes into the film, the, uh, the, the school bus kids are walking by in the background of, of Mr. Krieg's house uh, just long before their story is unpacked, but precisely when they would have been walking by in the events of the night of the film. Uh, so it's, uh, you again... You don't mean the teens in the School Bus Kids story. You mean the School Bus Kids who come back to haunt Yes, exactly. Yes, who right, come right. back who to haunt show up him. on his doorstep. Precisely, exactly. That's cool. Um, and so, you know, th- that's... So, in other words, the beginning of the film, the very beginning of the film, ties right. together very directly to the ending of the film in ways that when you go back and watch it, you can see like, oh no, there was a lot of intentionality going on here in the ways sure. they intersect and, and coincide. And that's one of my, again, one of my very favorite things about the film. And part of what I think makes the film so propulsive and, and watchable and fun is the ways uh, each of these stories overlap and intersect with each other. It's, it, it's, it's really a, a pretty energizing viewing experience, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I was trying to sort of keep up because I didn't know it was anthology at the outset, um, you know, and then you're just trying to get your bearings on each thing. And I was like, oh, these right. are not traditional anthology. So if you aren't going to watch it, the primary stories are uh, Dylan Baker, the actor, speaking of Spider-Man, who played Kurt Connors in Spider-Man no. 2, yes. um, uh, is a principal uh who you learn has quite homicidal tendencies um then you have anna paquin and and she is part of a quartet of young ladies out on the halloween town what you think is looking for some love and what you find is not quite that um (laughs) and then you then you then you have some actual teen characters high school kids um, who are kind of going to this abandoned area where this story of the town occurred uh, that plays into the backdrop of the stuff. And then you have that story, this kind of school bus flashback story. So all of these right, things kind of right. inter- intersect and overlap, as Reed mentioned, and, and inventively so. I mean, <laughs> you'll get a kick out of this. So 
I saw, of course, Anna Paquin and Brian Cox's name jump out in the opening credits. Dude, the the scene when Dylan Baker's in the backyard early the first time. Yeah. Right, right. I had no cl- I had no clue the neighbor was Brian Cox. I did not. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And to yeah. the point that I kept waiting for him to show up. But, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. And so yeah. then when it finally gets back to that character, I was like, oh, yeah, that was him. Yeah. Because he looks very different. Like we said, his, his look, his appearance was patterned after John Carpenter. Brian Cox in mo- virtually every other movie looks nothing like that. That long sort of frizzy hair um, and the mustached appearance and everything. It's uh yeah, it's it, it's really, I don't know quite how to describe this. I tried to count as I was rewatching the film. I think there are either six or seven complete in their own right stories, which interlap, like overlap and intersect uh, through the course of this film. Which ones am I forgetting? So, well, so I count the opening sort of, salvo if you will of the the husband and wife who oh yeah yeah uh yeah and so so i can't i count that one then obviously there's the dylan baker with the homicidal tendencies uh you overlay that with the the background story of the school bus kids who were killed Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. the story of the you know modern day kids who are going to that quarry to play Mm -hmm. a prank on one of their new friends so there's that story oh yeah uh the, then I didn't even say Cox's story. Yeah, you're right. And then there's you know Mr. Krieg's story, and then there's um, the story of the quartet, the uh, the girls out for their traditional date night and everything. And so, uh, so yeah, there's like six or seven different stories that just sort of intersect with one another. And again, as I've mentioned already, I feel like it's uh, it's it's really inventive the way that they do that. But I've always had a soft spot uh, in my heart for anthology films anyway even uh, especially a film like this that it's in, that is as inventive as it is um, but even just the traditional ones like the creep shows or the even the even though they're not my favorite uh, the, like the VHS films I've just always had a really soft spot in my heart for anthologies because there's such a variety within the piece even if you don't enjoy everything beginning to end there's a good shot that there'll be something in there that's worth uh, latching on to well actually it's funny because I actually think I like this format a little better than the traditional ver- version ah, because yeah. um, I think, again, it's psychology, but watching that in a traditional setting, you are on this kind of, okay, now I'm closing the door on this story and I have to sort of buy in on a new mini a story, new story. You right, know, right, right, like, right. like the creep show model, uh, which features quiche pretty heavily. I don't know if you recall that. You um, know I do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, whereas this one, it kind of plays a little sleight of hand with that format in a way that actually keeps me more invested. I'm like, yeah, okay, because it's because you're not completely leaving one to go into a new one. You're you're kind yeah. of dancing no, like between that. the raindrops, as it were. Um, I will say that this might, you know, <laughs> as a happily married man of 16 plus years, this is one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen when. That top story uh, that you just referenced, it's a husband and wife. <laughs> my guy, my guy says he sleeps till noon, then video games until four, and the wife is still willing to give him some loving. Like that is not, no, nope. would never <laughs> happen. No, nope. nothing real That's, about that. That is movie magic. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, not at all. Not Welcome at all. to Hollywood. <laughs> Although um, that said, their front yard is a bit absurd. <laughs> 
Come on. There was I like Halloween. So much that's of it. Ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. my point. And then he was like, and he was totally going to bow out on like the I other the other unbelievable part of it is she was like, you know what? I'll do it. I'm like, I'll do what? it. Not really. And no. Go watch a dirty movie. And get ready for me while I put in all the grunt work of tearing you, yes. down the stuff that she did not even. Yeah, there's you, no, that's you that's, can tell a guy directed I don't even this know. movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no way. <laughs> A woman came and anywhere wrote it. near. And wrote it. <laughs> yeah. No way a woman's perspective came anywhere near the direction nope. or creation of this film. Nope. Uh, you got to imagine, yeah, you got to imagine Doherty like showing, shopping the script around and like anytime a woman would be, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. I, I'm going to let no, someone no, else read no, it. No, no. You know. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's fine. <laughs> so I'm going to let somebody, I'm going to, I'm going to take this back. I'm going to, I'm going to let somebody I'm gonna get a second. Is opinion. your husband home? Is your husband home? <laughs> <laughs> the husband sees it. I like this. I think, <laughs> <it's great. laughs> I think I think you should make this. This, this, this is a great script. Do you I need some this. funding? <laughs> I got some, look. Let me he pulls out his wallet. I got I got like six bucks here, man. Like like what? what can I give How much you? Need? How much you need? This happen. I want to see this. <laughs> um. You know, it's funny, we're we're casting a lot of shade on that opening. So I actually do as a first shot across the bow, I actually love it for its brevity oh, and yeah, its focus. Yeah. It's, it's, it's completely fun as a little horror piece. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, um, yeah, I mean, on top of that, after after this beautiful, like long suffering woman, and then she yeah. all she did wrong. All she did wrong was extinguish Marry the that candle. Guy. Well, oh, there was right. that too. Um, <laughs> Was it extinguish the candle in the jack o' lantern, and she suffers so much yeah. from that. Like that's that's just absurd. Um, but yes, do I, you, I mean, do you interpret? Okay, now see, that's an interesting note you just made. So, do you interpret? And most of the people listening to this conversation have probably watched this particular movie because it's a little labyrinthine. If you haven't, but um, do you interpret it as purely the snuffing out of the candle, or it's the animus towards Halloween that Sam overhears? So you know that's I mean? a uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I I think part of it is I'm scared and thinking about the fact that I would put a candle out and I don't want to get murdered by a little Sam kid, but I don't have point. animus towards Halloween. So no, that's a fair point. Um, I think it could be read both ways. I do think you've brought up an interesting point that the general animus towards Halloween is. So I'm going to vote that it is purely the extinguishing of the candle, and I'll tell you why. Whoa. Yes, but uh, but you bring up a good point about the general animus towards Halloween. The reason I think it is purely the extinguishing of the candle is the entirety of the Brian Cox storyline, uh, which has its own sort of echoes and reverberations back into a different story that you eventually find out. But the entire uh, Brian Cox story is about him not giving out candy. And the Sam character, despite all of the violence that it goes on between them in the little story. So so that story that I'm referencing, so listeners can follow along, is that um, Brian Cox is like a curmudgeonly old man, uh, hates Halloween, is doing nothing for Halloween, and doesn't give any trick-or-treaters any candy. Well, then he's paid a visit by this character we keep referencing, this little Sam character, who is uh, a literal like demonic monstrous kind of figure and uh you know he's so cute (laughs) he kind of is with that little burlap headdress um but he um basically uh, you know begins to attack and torment brian cox's character and what finally stops him he goes to stab him with like a like a broken lollipop but when he does that that was a great moment yeah the lollipop like catches a candy bar 
that is in his pocket. So once Sam acquires the candy bar, he leaves him alone. And and Brian Cox absolutely had a tremendous amount of animus towards Halloween, but once Sam got the candy bar, he left him be and let him live. And so I, that's that's why I'm making the case that in that first story, what prompted Sam to go after her was that she extinguished the light, which canceled the tradition, and, and not merely that she was so antagonistic towards the Halloween holiday, because hmm. uh, even though Brian Cox's character remained antagonistic towards the holiday, he uh, clearly learned his lesson and begrudgingly began giving out candy. So, um, so that was really all it took, was for the traditions to be followed, and he would be left alone. Or did Sam know that the bus kids were out to get Stryker? And so he just knew, well, I'm, I got my candy now, so I'm going to let them finish you off. I'm going to let them take, you know what? You, you make some good points. <laughs> I mean, you make some really good points. I think you I'm are clearly. I'm I'm thinking about the movie. I get it. No, I really, really get it. Um, so, but but moving on a bit from that, the uh, so I have a. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, Wow. Nathan, all I've had is water, Reed. Just so you know, there's nothing being imbibed over here. Um, you know, but Reed's just like, okay, um, I need to finish this one on my and own. So we're gonna we're gonna move on here. Um, so uh, I wrote down I have a tremendous amount of respect for Dylan Baker as an actor, but the man creeps. Oh my me gosh, out he is so he's creepy. terrible. Yeah, um, that whole like in that whole sequence. Because he ha- he kind of participates in two main stories, yeah. Um, but the first and primary one that he's a part of, that whole front porch vomit fest is just disgusting. Oh my gosh, it's awful. So, did I miss something? Did he poison that kid? Did that kid have something before he shot? I, I kind of missed. I felt I felt like I missed a bit of information, and suddenly that kid was like profusely like lard ass level vomiting. Yeah, and, uh, you know. So what I think is, I think he had come if if my memory serves me it's been as of this recording it's been a couple of days since i've seen it but if memory serves on these particulars i think the kid walked up to the front porch grabbed some of the candy that was on display there right. and then that candy is poisoned and so that because he's because Dylan Baker's character is still sitting there talking to him and he's like Killing oh there's kids. all that's right. yeah, well, yeah. yeah that makes and he's sense. like oh there's all these you know, uh, traditions and blah, blah, blah. And he says, oh, and the most important tradition of all, always check your candy. And so I, I, I think he, you know, okay. he absolutely yep. was luring the kid into a trap. I also, I also wrote down, <clears throat> this is me trying to be clever and funny and maybe failing at both. But oh, boy. The little kid just, just yelled out the window, Charlie Brown's an a-hole. And I, was, yeah. and I, wrote, and I wrote down, like, somebody give that kid a rock, because that's just mean. No, 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 someone throw a rock at that kid. Well, of course, but I'm making a very specific yeah. Charlie Brown reference. That I like, know. I got a rock. I thought about that, actually, I before got a this rock. episode started recording. That was a long yeah. time ago now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Ooh. Dylan Baker's character is wretched. Uh, oh, he's terrible. You know, as bad as the barfing scene is, you know what's worse is when you've got decent headphones on and it's just you and the audio and that barfing scene happens and it's just splashing and sploshing and splorching and like <laughs> oh my god let's make it stop this is awful it's and then every <laughs> every single time you see him like lurch forward you're like yeah oh, no, yeah no 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 well, no, no, oh, no pull off the i headphones. forgot this this is not in my notes my wife who i actually watched ask her to watch the host and she's like no nah, i'm good uh which oh. is totally fine whatever but 
this particular <laughs> night, she decides <laughs> she decides she's going to sit in the room while Trick or Treat is on. Okay. And okay. Okay. Barfy guy starts happening, <laughs> and she would look up from her phone every now and then. I was like, hey, don't, I literally waved her off. Like, no, stop, stop. I don't know. And I eventually told her to leave. I was like, listen, I don't know what's going to happen in this movie. You should go somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) The college girls are coming. I don't know what's happening with these college girls. I didn't know that was coming. No, this is before (laughs) that. I like the dynamic. It just just delights me so much. Like the movies like The Host, Parasite. These these are the films that you're like, no, 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 I don't want to see that. And then these other like House of a Thousand Corpses or like like Saw or Trick or Treat. Those are the ones that is like, oh, yeah, I think I'll sit in the room with you. you. That's really you just decided to sit in on this one. Now, in her defense, you go see Parasite in the theater with me. Um, That's awesome. You know. I will give myself slight credit here, even though I didn't recognize him as Brian Cox. Uh, once the bus driver story, once the bus story starts revealing itself, I was like, huh, I wonder based on how this movie is constructed, if the neighbor is the bus driver. Oh, good call on you guessing that. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. First time through, I did not make that connection. I just thought that they were, you know, just connected with the quarry uh, narrative. Well, in the because in the, quor- in the present day quarry narrative with the teens, Someone references one of the kids at the bottom of the quarry says, and it's intentionally stood out to me. But what happened to the bus driver? I was like, Oh, you want gotcha. me to think about that? Mm, um, gotcha. Boy, those kids are terrible to old Rhonda. They're That's so awful. awful. I'm not a fan of even the most mild mannered of pranks. That was just <laughs> hideous. You must like, hate me. Was, you know. <laughs> While we're on this, um, <laughs> since you brought it up, Nathan, let me get, let me get some. That time you did that thing twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I have never been a fan of uh, of just like like pranking or teasing in general. Like it's just, it's just not it's just not my thing. I, I, I don't I don't prefer it. Um, the other day, the other day, so my kids, you know, we're quarantined and we're at home. Nobody can leave the house. Uh, my kids are doing online school. Mm, well. Mm. I'll have to just check in on them every now and then. Like, hey, what are y'all doing? You doing, you farting around on the computer or you doing schooling? Mm. B minus or? The other day, speaking of pranks. (laughs) Speaking of pranks. So, um, both of them were positioned in such a way they couldn't see the front of their, the the door to their room. Okay. And I I see, I'm going to come out to check on them. I see them like, all right. Mm-hmm. So I just like start walking into the room trying to be real stealthy like and then just like yell and it <laughs> scared the crap out of both of them. <laughs> sure enough, it was great. It was beautiful. Oh great da- great dad moment. Yeah, oh, I was about buddy. to say father of the year. I kid you not. 10 minutes later, I come back in to check and the oldest one has smartly now positioned herself where she can see the front door, but the oh, middle one has not. Of course. <laughs> the middle one is <laughs> You're like, you ain't never learn. Y'all don't never learn. (laughs) You gotta learn now. (laughs) The middle one is laying on the floor, looking at her Kindle, and the big, the old one, the older one can see me, right? And I'm like, so I creep in and read. I plank. A plank is a maneuver when you just fall out on the floor, right next to her, just like fall right next to her (laughs) and and like bark at her. (laughs) Oh man. It was glorious. I thought you yeah. should barf on me like that kid in this movie. <laughs> man, invite me over to your house. It sounds like a laugh riot, man. Like, let me just let me not go to the bathroom in your place because you who knows? No, 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 you better not. 
Who knows what she's got positioned. That's where the worst things happen. Oh, my goodness. I didn't need any help, Daddy. I know. Um, (laughs) What else do you want to talk about? Oh, my gosh. So, Mm. um, the main main other thing that I had on my my likes-dislikes portion is just um, I love the way the general expectations that they set you up for on the sort of costumed girls story just so drastically pivots. Um, it, it, yeah. it's, it's one of my favorite turns in the film because we think for the most, for the majority of it, that the Lori character played by Anna Paquin is kind of naive, innocent, that she's a bit um, in danger potentially from this masked man that we have now seen to be a murderer. And then when when suddenly that mask. Well, more than that, you think he's a vampire, right? 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 Because that's the, kind of the nature of this film. You think that it's uh, that it's really uh, a monster, and then when he falls from the tree at that little campground where they are, he falls from the tree, starts begging for help, and then like it's it's reveal on top of reveal. First of all, they reveal he's not a vampire. Then they reveal, oh, it's Mr. Wilkins. It's, D- it's Dylan Baker from the earlier story. And then it's revealed that actually all those costume girls and their tradition for their dates and everything is that actually they are werewolves hunting their prey for whatever you know ritual of the night it is. I mean, I just love the way yeah. it subverts and plays around with all of our expectations in a, in a really fun, uh, inventive sequence. I feel like my favorite overall story of the piece is the story um, in the like with the deceased kids in the bus uh, with the quarry. That, that kind of is my favorite single story as it is. But my favorite moment in the film is that entire sequence. Like from the from the moment that he falls from the tree till they start their transformations, it's it's really uh, just a lot of fun in the ways that what you didn't expect to happen begins happening in rapid succession. Agreed. Well, because again, you 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 think who you don't know is the principal is an actual vampire, and you've got little Sam running around. Like there is weird supernatural stuff happening in this movie. Right, um, right. Yeah, so when that turn happens, it was definitively a surprise. Um, um, what you got listed for scares? Speaking or of any surprises other... and speaking of poop club, uh, <laughs> uh, principal guy's kid leaping out from behind the counter when he comes back in from the backyard. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. my God, Reed, I, I leapt. It was like... <laughs> It was like bicycle kick 2.0. I was going like, to say, did you bicycle kick around the room? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like oh my God, that kid came up from out of the counter. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stab him! Stab him! <laughs> oh my uh, so that was rough. Actually, now it works for where the film goes. But the assault of what you think is vampire guy in the alleyway is pretty terrible. That's- yeah, that, that, that was pretty awful. Yeah. Um, again, it, like to your point, it sets up the later subversion, like where he's and he is he is authentically dangerous. He's he's homicidal, um, but it sets up effectively the eventual subversion when he gets taken out by the far more menacing monster. Sure. Uh, in the in the costumed sort of harem, uh, as it were. Um, I what I wrote down for this is I I, I said I think the. For me, the film is a little bit too funny and a little bit too upbeat tonally to be genuinely like scary. But there's some really great like monster moments. There's some really like some really effective creature design. 
uh, some great jump moments, startle moments. You already mentioned, like, even something as little as the kid jumping up behind the counter. But there's lots of moments that are, you know, people have their debates about whether or not jump scares are uh, a good thing or a bad thing in horror films. But I think it, it there's some really effective ones in this one, whether or not you prefer that style of of horror. But I think the most effective, like, like scare for me is when the Rhonda and the other boy are like going down the elevator to the quarry and she sees all the lit jack-o'-lanterns over in the distance, but her friends, well, she thinks they're their friends are like screaming and the, the jack-o'-lanterns are like extinguishing. That's a genuinely affecting kind of moment. Uh, You very much sympathize even as the viewer with her in that experience. And it is that much more harrowing, when you realize all of that was a prank, a prank, yeah, uh, a very terrible. cruel prank. So then, again, the film is really effective at like subverting and surprising expectations because then it's revealed to have been a prank, but then after that, the real thing starts to happen and the real kids start coming back to, to the, the, the real sort of ghosts of the kids start coming back and then Rhonda will not help these these yeah, people. That was and intense. it's it's difficult to tell in the moment, and honestly, either one works. It's difficult to tell in the moment if her character is just fed up with the prank and like, I'm not going to let you trick me again. That was cruel. I'm moving on. Or if she recognizes that they are really scared and just does not care. Um, so either one as would in, be really effective. As in you're saying you can't tell if she thinks they're continuing with a prank? Yes. Yes. It, that, oh, I, like, I, I think I, she I could, knows. Yeah. That it's real and and it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. sort of leaving them to it, which either one is is pretty harrowing. But um, but did you have well the whole the whole aesthetic of the the flashback the bus flashback is terrible. I mean, just that's a yes yes that's a pretty upsetting story. No, absolutely, and it's funny because you're kind of and I mean you probably had a slightly different experience because you were forecasting in your mind that that Brian Cox's character might be the bus driver. Um, but the first time through, I didn't make that connection, so I was kind of, as you typically are in a film, in general, you might be inclined to sort of fear for the victim as he's being assaulted by the little Sam character. But it's interesting when you when you reveal at the end, or when it is revealed at the end, that he was the now elderly man who had perpetrated that heinous action with the with the kids so many years ago. Anyway, it's just... Well, and it, to be clear, not that it matters a ton, but... The bus flashback happens before what I earlier referenced a character says, but what happened to the driver? So in the middle of the bus flashback, I'm not thinking any of this. Oh, is connected to gotcha. The oh, yeah. yes, 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 yeah. yes. Understood. Understood. But uh, I have something. So I want to. Uh, do you have anything else on your scares list? Uh, when his window gets egged. You're a homeowner. I jumped. I tell. Yeah. Oh, you jumped. <laughs> <laughs> no. You're, not going like, down no, the house. I just jumped. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> um, whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> bicycle kick through the air. <laughs> um, so I had, there's something that was, that really stood out to me this time that I think is really, really interesting uh, that I probably only would have picked up on because we have these kind of conversations to try to mine the depths of, of more thematic substance. Uh, I don't think this ever would have picked, if it hit my radar in previous viewings, um, it didn't register as any sort of concrete point of thought. But I think the film has an interesting underlying theme of what I'm going to call 
the consequence of ignoring tradition. Hmm. It is baked into nearly everything. Like the opening sequence, the very first thing we're exposed to is she blows out the candle in a jack-o'-lantern, and he even is like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to leave it lit because it's an ancient tradition. Um, And then she has a consequence for that. In the Wilkins story, you know, he's talking on the porch about all of the traditions of Halloween, including the need to check your candy. Um, And then uh, his little boy Billy is, like, hounding him about, like, oh, it's tradition, let's carve the jack-o'-lantern, which is hideous scene and then the kids in the quarry uh, are playing a prank and they suffer the consequences of playing their little prank uh, where they do and because of what they do uh, even the what we later find are the the ladies that are actually werewolves they talk about how their costumed themed hunt is a tradition that they keep with because like when they step out of there and, and Anna Paquin's character is like I feel ridiculous I forget her exact line but she's like I look stupid or I feel ridiculous or something they're like it's tradition um, and then the character of Sam, as I had posited earlier, appears to be kind of this vengeful character that goes after people who don't keep the traditions alive. Um, so this time around, particularly, it just really pinged me that what the film seems, what seems to be the common through line of each of these anthology films, and honestly, anthology films are difficult to grasp a singular thematic narrative you know just in general by their nature Mm -hmm. they're they're sequential stories that are beginning middle and end not necessarily depending on having a through line one to the other so what i found really interesting about this one is the way that they all in their internal narratives seem to be dancing with these traditions that are at play uh, specifically revolving around the night of halloween and the potential consequences of ignoring or abandoning those singular traditions, which I found really, really interesting. And uh, I, I have a couple of other places that I could go along those same lines, but what do you, what do you generally think about that? I mean, I'd, if, if you have more thoughts to follow on that tradition idea, I, I welcome them. I mean, because sure, sure, I, yeah. I can see what you're scratching at. I, I don't have an immediate response yet. Though. So, so, so what stands out to me is I feel like, there's a lot of I'll, I'll, I will I'm about to really sort of explode the conversation in some ways that you know m- might take us a few minutes or or maybe won't take that long at all. But it seems to me there are always, depending upon the subject, there are generally two schools of thought. Um, one that is rooted in and anchored in preserving and observing traditional ways of doing things, celebrating things, uh, actioning things, like rooted in uh, the, uh, basically, this is how it has always been done. Fill in the blank on what subject you're talking about, but this is the way it has always been done. Versus the compulsion and challenge to try to do something more new or inventive or try to do something uh, a bit more... Uh, trying to avoid very volcanic language, but more progressive, uh, trying to do something that is a bit more just, there's the school of thought that would say, this is the way it has always been done, and the school of thought that would say, but no, something new is potentially upon you, and what this pinged in me, and, and this whole series that we've done on this 2020, there's no way that we could have known how much of it would be 
affected by and influenced by what is happening in the real and the now and 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 I'll I'll approach it this way. I had I had posted a video to Facebook not this not not that long ago actually, um, and had uh, had posted something where I was talking about. It struck me in these these times that we're in these uh, these seasons of these quarantines and uh, everything shutting down, and I'm seeing a lot of things when I do engage with social media. I'm seeing basically the camps that say, okay, we need to get back to normal as soon as possible. And then other camps that are kind of trying to find their way to through coping with what is now and present and at hand. And the other night, I remember thinking, I was having a discussion with my wife about different things that like churches were trying to do and different things that businesses were trying to do. And at one point during the discussion, the thought struck me of people trying so desperately to hold on to normal. And so that's the phrase that I'm going to anchor these these thoughts in. People trying so desperately to hold on to normal. And the ways in which, despite the present challenges and despite the present restrictions and despite uh, the present dangers people trying desperately for things to, as much as possible, look and feel and sound normal. Um, and it's interesting because we are in, generally, generationally speaking, an unprecedented time. There are probably a few people who are still alive that were alive during the uh, pandemic of like 1918 when uh, the big major flu hit the country and that's the the most historically recent thing that this present virus condition has uh, has positioned us in that's that's comparable is like well what happened in the 1918 you know pandemic right. um but it just struck me so powerfully of the ways in which people's adaptability uh and and coping mechanisms are really put to the task of trying to navigate these present situations. And I keep coming back to this, that phrase of like holding on to normal. And again, this film is not interested in any of that. It was made in 2007. What this film does appear to be interested in is in its own horror styled way in positing this extreme blown up explosion of, Oh, well hold to tradition hold you know hold fast and hold near the traditions that uh that are time tested and time honored or there will be irrevocable monstrous consequences or sometimes the traditions themselves are monstrous consequences in their own right and uh and so that combined with our present conditions has got me really thinking a lot about again just normalcy and uh people who are trying so desperately to navigate these present new challenges by holding on to the version of normal for as long as they possibly can. So I don't know if I'm completely being coherent in, in wrestling all those thoughts down, but that's what, that's, that's what trick or treat sort of made me think about uh, in the context of these present situations. So I don't, I don't know if you have, if that sparks some specific responses. Yeah, it's a little jumbled. I, I would say the film itself didn't incite a whole lot of depth in response, but that I kind of like what you're formulating there. And listen, I don't really, 
my knowledge of jargon typically turned political is relatively new to the 40 years I've been on earth. So I will sometimes say things that I don't even myself entirely know what I mean. I just know, generally speaking, here's where I tend to seem to fall. So mm. that being said, in so far as my understanding of some of this stuff, I would typically identify more as quote unquote progressive. And mm-hmm. so I hear what you're describing. And I think what's interesting about this sort of paradigm you're propping up here is the difference between symbols of tradition and rigidity of tr- tradition. In other words, mm-hmm. What I hear isn't honor Halloween, that the movie is positing honor Halloween in this particular way or else. It is simply, well, honor Halloween. Mm, uh, mm, and, mm. and what that can look like manifests in a lot of different ways. Yeah, or, right. Or can slash should. And so taking that sort of view and and exploding it out as you said to sort of our not even national moment but even religious experience like even using this author's name will will be a turnoff for some people but i remember the first time i read brian mclaren's new kind of christian about mm, mm. 15 years 15 years ago at this point and kind of it blew my mind and and there was this really great little nugget in it that has stayed with me a lot that that if let's say middle ages Christians could somehow get in a time machine and look at us today, they would say, well, you're not Christians. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. the, the visual, the, the, the representation, the manifestation is so dramatically different. Like to assume that a particular iteration or expression of faith, uh, and you know, the movie uses Halloween, but, I think if I'm picking up what you're putting down, you're even adopting that notion into kind of our faith experience yes, in this modern yes. moment. Like our faith express- experience, our cultural experience, our yeah, yes, yes, the, all the, of it. The willingness to have some flexibility while still owning those signals and symbols and tent poles and icons. Right, of right. whether it's your national identity or your religious identity like mm-hmm. i don't know if i'm making any sense here but but i just just in that stream of like you can be uh, in the movie's context you can honor halloween and have a ton of stupid um dec- decorations in your yard uh, you're still honoring Halloween, or maybe she's not, but I'm, we're splitting hairs here. But the point being, sure, yeah, right, right. There are a lot of different ways it can look, mm, mm-hmm. and I would, I would definitively say that for a faith expression too. Like, you know, what is or has to be "quote unquote" Christian should not be so rigid that you are that you are no longer permitting the newness and revelation of God to appeal to you and still be called that. Anyway, I don't know if that made any sense or not. Well, and and one of the first thoughts that I had is that rigidity is most closely associated with uh, with death. Things that are alive are traditionally much more malleable, flexible, 
Um, you know, like like Christ in the scriptures never describes, never hails anything that is dead or unmoving as a a good quality. Uh, you know, like he describes the spirit as the wind. You don't know where it's going or where it came from, but you know, there's there's so many ways in which we will try very hard to manifest structures that and and lest i beat too much up on the structural drum structures can provide stability and structures can provide safety and uh you know there's the old example that if children are on a playground with no fence around it then they tend to stay pretty huddled in the center of that field because of fear of the edges. But if there's a boundary in place, if there's a clearly defined sort of fence, then they'll walk right up to the edge of the fence and they'll, they'll know exactly where they uh, can stop and where they can go. So I'm not beating up on the idea of structures as a concept, certainly not. Um, but I do think there can be times at which the structures themselves become more important than the reason those structures were yes. put in place. And that the the aims because oh, go ahead I'm sorry well no 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 I, I can end it with this statement the aims at which the aims which produced those structures can sometimes become secondary to the structures and that's where you get things backwards that's when you get rigidity because right. now you're no longer um, adopting a structure so that you can move forward in freedom and life instead you are bowing to an idol that you right. have crafted and fashioned, and now that structure is the end of the conversation. Because ultimately, in your analogy of a playground and a fence here, whether you're five years old or 105 years old, the point is still to not need the fence. Maturity yes. and growth and wisdom will propel you in a direction, if cultivated properly, to where you can say, I don't need the physical boundary. I don't need understand the nuance here. The, to use your terminology, the structure to mm, keep me mm -hmm. where I'm quote unquote supposed to be. I mm. mean, my wife sent me a quote recently and I'll hit and run on this, but it's pinging with me as you're saying this. Um, it was a quote that was found hold no ill will towards us, but she was like, this sounds like something you would affirm. And it was basically that conservatism is the worship of dead things. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh that's oh, wow. that's that's <laughs> yeah. strong, but it is exactly what you're describing. You know, take out the right. politically charged word right. conservatism right, right. here, but the idea that when all of the boundaries and structures we've put up historically then themselves become the point right. means we've right. lost the point. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it still baffles me, and I'll 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 say this, and I'm then maybe after that we can uh, sort of wind it down, but. You know, it, 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 the story in the scriptures still boggles my mind about when the, the, and I think I've referenced it on this show before, that when the Hebrew children were in the wilderness and then the Moses was up on Mount Sinai, uh, supposedly, well, not supposedly, this is what he was doing, uh, communing with the Lord and, and gaining direction about where the people were supposed to go. Well, he was taking so long with it that they eventually pulled together their jewelry and their earrings and, compelled Moses's brother Aaron to make a golden calf like they compelled him to burn down the gold fashion the gold into this calf and then they began to worship the calf 
and the, there are so many different ways to go in that story. What I'm going to hold on to in the context of the conversation we're having here is they either forgot or willfully ignored that they made that thing. They created it. And then when they created it, they begin sort of hailing it as far beyond the station that it actually was. Fundamentally, it was still a figure, an image. And we can, in our own ways, when the structure works for us, that is, that is good. That is, great. It, it works. And it, uh, it is providing uh, substantive health and forward motion, and, and, and that's a good thing. But it becomes rapidly very unhealthy when you, as we're talking about, you begin to uh, sort of police adherence to the structure, which is how I would consider this, like, Sam character. That's a great way to put it. When, when, yeah, you, be- yeah. when you begin to authoritarianly, uh, that's not a real word, but sure. uh, uh, authoritatively uh, begin to police and demand that this structure be adhered to uh, at all costs, by all means, uh, you're in a very precarious situation. Because and you find yourself, and uh, this will be kind of my final word on the subject for myself. You find yourself then uh, in the position, as I believe perhaps the Pharisees uh, found themselves in so many times, to where now suddenly they are bound to the structure and are so bound to the structure that when the very Son of God stands in their midst, they don't recognize him, and even beyond that, are openly antagonistic towards him. Because all they can see is their own power structures, their own uh, power dynamics, their own systems, which they themselves have uh, crafted and shifted from good places, from, you know, like sourced in good things, but very, very rapidly becoming not good things in how they are uh, uncharacteristically positioned. So, so, So that listeners are not unclear... What I think, to, to tie a bow on this for myself, what I think the film is playing with is I think the film is, as all great horror does, it is exploding a concept of, oh, you better adhere to traditions because if you don't adhere to traditions, then little burlap head Sam is going to come and get you or some monstrous evil thing is going to happen to you. And, uh, and so that's what the film is positing. And obviously it's in the context of horror. I think the nugget that I'm gleaming from is in the context of the virus we live ourselves in, uh, find ourselves in at the moment, and in the context of the longer-lasting faith and life walk, is be very cautious of how rigidly you worship and consider the structures in which you operate, lest you put them ahead of the aims for which those structures were initially installed to begin with. And always be mindful that it, it is the aim that you are after not uh, maintaining the structure itself. Jesus himself used the example, man, I keep trying to wind this down, but then things keep popping up in my head. Jesus himself said to the people, and they didn't know what he was talking about, but he said to the people, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll make it rise again. And to them, that was terribly scandalous, because they were like, well, it took us centuries to build this temple. You're talking lunacy here. What are you talking about? Um, but I think in the context of this conversation, what's pinging me at the moment is this idea of, like, this structure is a structure. That's what it is. And we know in the context of that scripture that Jesus was talking about his own death and resurrection. But I think the a principle that could be quelled out from there is 
the structure is the structure, and it is valuable, it is, it is important, it has its place, but if you ever get to the place to where you mistake the structure as being the end of the story or the end of the conversation, you're in a very precarious position to miss what God has for you. Or the point of the story. Or the point of the story, exactly. In a very precarious position to miss what the Lord has for you, what life has for you, what the future has for you, and be very weary and cautious of adopting that attitude too firmly and too strongly. And I'm going to end my my sermon there. Amen, brother. (laughs) I don't want Sam coming for me. No, not at all. Um, you feel, you, wanna... uh, you feel like going to the fog meter? Let's do it. Let's do it. Bring us to the fog meter, sir. Indeed. So on every episode of The Fear of God where we cover a film, generally speaking, we measure those films on a metric of fear and God. How scary-ish was a thing? How substantive <laughs> ish was a thing it's a very flexible metric um <laughs> on a scale of one to ten riri how do you rate trick-or-treat by michael Darty on the beer measure i'm you know i'm gonna be gracious towards this film because it's not uh you know it, it's probably not going to give you too many like outright nightmares but it's got some great macabre imagery and some really effective jump scares some really great monster designs uh so i'm gonna be a little generous here i'm gonna give it an eight that that is generous. Not uh, that's not un that's not unfairly generous. That is gener- more generous than I thought you'd give. Um, I think for me, uh, the the enjoyment factor of this film is just how much it kind of keeps you on your toes with pivoting left and pivoting right. And I agree. I mean, the creature design is fantastic. The design of Sam is fantastic. Um, yeah. A couple jump scares, some truly unsettling kind of story elements. Um, not quite as high as you, but I'll, I'll go with seven. All right. All right. What would you say for the God meter? Um, I, I don't, uh, in one viewing, it doesn't feel like it has a ton on its mind other than just fun, like celebratory Halloween type of stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. so from that standpoint, uh, this is going to sound mean, but I don't intend it as such. I think I'm going to go with a four. It feels okay. Kinda, you know, there's not nothing there, but not much of something either. No, I agree. I want to, as we as we often have when this happens, uh, I, I want to sort of hang a lantern on the fact that I think a lot of what I gleamed from the film was a lot of what I brought to it as well, both in the context of what's happening uh, in the world around us and in my own particular thought patterns as well. So um, again, I'm going to be a bit generous, uh, but, but along the same lines, and I'm going to give this a six uh, for its God meter along those same lines. Well, in the spirit of that and of Sam, we will give... Trick or Treat from 2007, your number four on your list, uh, a six out of ten on the fog meter. I Very nice. I forgot what that number was for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but uh, the, more, the more pressing question is, would you recommend Trick or Treat to people? I think so. I mean, it is... I, I don't think there's a ton of kind of food for thought per se. Um, but in terms of just fun, uh, more fun than you might expect out of it. Uh, and some definitive twists and turns, uh, that are pleasant, uh, from a horror perspective. Yeah. I think it's a fun little flick. 
Yeah, and I, I definitely think like for horror fans, absolutely, it's a very fun film. Uh, I think you'll really find a lot of enjoyment out of it. Um, so if you're a fan of the slasher film or even the anthology sort of dynamic, uh, you really owe it to yourself to check this film out. High recommendations uh, there. Uh, for the casual viewer, I don't know, uh, but uh, but yeah, definitely uh, a high recommendation for any horror fan. So that puts yet another episode of... 2020, 2020, fully and completely in the books. Next week. Penultimate episode. This is the penultimate episode. That's right, because next week we are going to be pivoting to the final episode of this phase. Uh, this is a year-long journey for us through this 2020, 2020 series. Um, but concluding this phase um, and temporarily putting a pause on the overarching series, next week we are going to be counting down your favorite horror films of 2008 and we will be covering a film that I don't know how many of you have heard of, so seek it out. Um, it is called Pontypool. That's P-O-N-T-Y-P-O-O-L. Seek out the film Pontypool. That is going to be the subject of next week's uh, ultimate installment of this phase of 2020-2020. Nathan, as always, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Really appreciate it, man. It's a pleasure. And uh, as we say on every single episode, uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. So. And wash your hands. <sighs> and do that as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, we'll see you next week, everybody. See you next week, guys. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. I think my favorite, like, creepy moment. Hey, pause for one Are you second. okay? Yeah. There's a... I'm sitting at a window. I don't know if you know that. And yeah, I mean, it's, mid, it's midnight here and some car was, some people got out of a car and it was, I was just making sure it wasn't something. Are you okay? Unt do you need to, untoward. Do you need to check it out? I mean, you're clearly just like dropping somebody off, but I'm sure it's fine. Sorry. Are you sure? Um, yeah. So I will. <laughs> I will be cutting all of this out, but one of the most unsettling experiences is to be talking to you about a movie like Trick or Treat and about these versions, and all of a sudden, because we, we don't always like can see each other. Tonight, coincidentally, we happen to be able to see each other, and suddenly I see your face as you are very attentively looking out the window clearly not at me and a, a concerned like does daddy need to go take care of something look like hit your face and i'm like what what are you seeing and like because the so funny I, I recognize mentally 
that you are miles and miles away from me. But, <laughs> but there's still this moment where you're like, what is behind me? Like, what do you see in my view screen that I can't oh, I know, ascertain? I know. 